0: Welcome to the 5th edition of Record Roundtable, where we talk about a band, an artist, an artist that has a lot of creative control over a band. This week we're talking about Queens of the Stone Age. This is Caleb Robinson speaking. I'm here with
1: Jared. I'm Dax. This
0: is Tex. Tex. Ooh, Texas in the house. It's been a while. It's been a while. I figured I'd, bring, bring, I figured I'd be here for this episode. Fair enough. Alright, this week again we're talking about Queens of the Stone Age and how everybody feel about Queens of the Stone Age. Let's start with Dax.
1: There's so much that this man, Josh Shami, has done in his life. It really just, it's impressive. I don't even know where to start on it. Well, how about you started Queens of the Stone Age and say what you think about it? I, there's so much Queens of the Stone Age have done. I don't even know where to start with them. Like,
2: what well, did you like it?
1: I did like it. All
2: yes. right, very good. You you have stated your feelings on a piece of musical work.
0: <laughs> about huge
3: Jared. Um, I'll try and be just as descriptive. I don't. I. It was a lot of kind of the same kind of sound throughout um what we listened to i did find a lot of things that i liked i enjoyed going back and listening to the songs that i knew the things that i was introduced to by them but i didn't listen the two most recent albums i had never had listened to you never listened to like clockwork no no that's a that's a rush album too i think but um yeah i I don't believe I've ever listened to a Queens of the Stone Age album all the way through up to this week. Hmm. So shame I, on I, you. I found it to be um, pretty good stoner rock or it's, alternative rock, it's desert rock, desert rock. I read that as well. I, I I found things that I kind of like thought of similar, but we'll get into that. That's my thoughts.
2: To Dax's credit, there are lots of things that have been done by both Josh and Queens of the Stone Age. I'm sorry to give you such a hard time. Uh, they're good. They're very good. And to me, this is like modern. It's like it's not all of it is like this, but if you like psych rock, then this is like what psych rock should have grown up to be at all times.
0: In a weird way, yeah. Yeah,
2: like weird and modern and and very le- uh, layered and textural. And especially the earlier stuff's more, a little bit more like that, but. As you get in later, some more things move in that change things a little bit. But they're good. Definitely good. My pick, so, I, of course, I'm probably it was likely I would say so. But they're quite good.
0: I also enjoy them quite a bit. I've been listening to them for a while. I love, love, love songs for the deaf. Easily their best album from oh. my perspective. It's a very, very good album. But that doesn't mean that other albums aren't good. I would say as well, like to, to talk about their albums a little bit, Era Vulgaris. Is very underappreciated. Yeah, it's I a pretty so. good album. It is a good album. Honestly. And I feel like a lot of people kind of let that like go by where there's a lot of good variety on that album. There's yeah. some big hits on that album. It kind of sounds mainstream, but it also still has like their old familiar sound to it. It's a good album. I don't know.
2: I would agree with you on that album. I don't understand why it's why it kind of fell so far below people's radars in that way. Right. I don't really get it, especially because threes and sevens is huge. It was on guitar hero. A lot of people knew it from that, yeah. but I felt like this album didn't, I felt like this album didn't get a lot of attention as well when it, cause I remember around the time that it came out and I just thought that that was odd, but it is, I don't think that any yeah. of their albums are a bad album. Some of them are a little, I think. Um, and if you listen, if you read Josh's, you know, the little tidbits about different albums where he's, where he talks about them, Uh, lullabies to paralyze is kind of the is really the for me like uh,
0: I think it's good but it's kind of the most dragging in a way I would agree with that actually lullabies to paralyze is the one that stood out to me the least yeah it has some okay songs on it like obviously um little sister Mm -hmm. is the one that's kind of like the most popular uh, off of that album that's a good one uh I didn't I really like the song everybody knows that you're insane it's got a good like driving almost they, they sometimes have songs that are like punk like they've got some punk elements to they've the music. got lots of metal too. Yeah, really. Yeah, they do. So
2: it's just kind of a the 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 desert rock is. Can you explain what why yeah.
0: desert? Yeah,
2: desert rock. So the Queens of the Stone Age was founded in Palm Desert, which is in the Coachella Valley, and in there was a scene. There was a whole music scene in the Palm Desert region, and that's what we see here. Queens of the Stone Age. Um, a couple of other different bands or even just individual artists. And they've, and it's come to be kind of known in like, I don't know if it would be, it's not widely, maybe it's kind of like around as, as desert rock, which is basically a lot of, it's kind of like modern psych with metal elements, with uh, punk rock elements, with alt rock, with hard rock elements. It's just like a bunch of different types of rock smashed together. And essentially, when you listen to Josh kind of talk about some of this stuff, especially their work on, uh, basically, from like Ereville Garris on, he's like, we, he says that they wanted to be able to play anything. If anyone had a song, they want to be able to play it. They don't want to be tied down by their own music. And that's like kind of what it is. It's just like an amalgamation of all forms of rock kind of thing. Can
0: you explain the they part of Queens of the Stone Age very briefly? Yeah, so
2: Queens it, there's kind of two periods really, because Josh has a he. It's mostly Josh, like right. Really. That's who started the group. That's been the only consistent member. But Troy Van Leeuwen has been the guitar player since 2002, so that would have been. Right after, I believe, it was that? Yeah, right after Songs for the Deaf. Yeah. And I think that he had a little bit of hand at, in the end of recording on Songs for the Deaf. So all of their new sound from, because there is kind of a period, like, and, and Josh talks about Lullabies to Paralyze was like sloughing off their, like, what it meant to be Queens of the Stone Age and being able to move forward. So from there out, uh, Air Vulgaris, like Clockwork, even stuff on Lullabies to Paralyze, you get, Troy is a big, part as well now so other than that it's like a rotating cast and it's like a rotating cast not only like sometimes people will play uh will perform on the albums and they are not touring with them right even for that album like dave grohl is buddies with josh and he's been on multiple albums as, as the drummer and he is not i don't think he's ever toured with them i think he's played some shows with them but he's never toured for this like the entirety of a tour with them mm. So
3: yeah, it says from 2001 to 2002, he was an official member. And then in 2013, he was a session member. Yeah,
2: he's been well, he drummed on songs for the deaf. Mm -hmm. And then he also came in and drummed on like clockwork as well. Mm -hmm. So but he didn't tour either of those albums. Mm
0: -hmm. It's it's interesting because when I first kind of heard about Queens of the Stone Age, I, you know, I didn't know a whole lot about them. I just had heard some songs my understanding of them was very centered around Dave Grohl, like because he's such a popular person Mm -hmm. and so important and influential in music to have him involved in an out, like a a band like this, it kind of turns your head in a lot of ways. And it makes you think, Oh yeah, like that's really interesting. Queens of Stone Age has got Dave Grohl in it. it's like, but they don't he not has really nothing, he has really nothing to do with it.
2: Yeah. He I doesn't mean,
0: have an influence really on the sound. No. It's really I mean, again, it's Josh. He,
2: he really only performed because they're friends and they need it. For instance, on like clockwork, the the drummer left. You know, or they had a if there's a vacancy and they need someone to play drums on this album or stuff like like that's what's happened really. Uh or he's just invited him to come. Like and Josh just invites people they have lots of people who are or have guest appearances on albums as well, and whether their roles are large or whether their roles are small, there's a lot of people like, uh, oh, who did I see? A prominent singer, I'm gonna have to look it up.
1: I did read a thing about Dave Grohl, uh, talking about the band. He said that he was getting kind of uh, burnout from working on uh, Foo Fighters and being able to just be a drummer and not have to think. Helped clear his mind.
2: That's a good point. I'm sure it would. Yeah. Plus, sometimes I feel like Queens are like the better Foo Fighters. <laughs> yeah. You know what
3: I mean? I was going to compare the two. And so it's fair. Um, I, I think I like Foo Fighters more as a band. Oh, man. But I do. They're both, you know, good current rock bands, you know. Oh, uh, the one of the people you're talking about, a, a um, prominent singer. Julian Casablancas from the Strokes was on 666. Sick, Sick, Sick. He did the synth guitar and he did vocals on that. Song. Yeah, he's worked huh. with him a couple of times.
2: I think I was thinking of, yeah, I was thinking of Rob Halford from Judas Priest. Mm. Oh. Who uh, did some vocal work on Feel Good Hit of the Summer, the opening track to Rated R, mm. which you wouldn't know he's in there by listening to it, really. It's not no, like a sure. prominent performance, but he just like brings people in that I think, he, I think what Josh likes to do is bring people in that. Have, in, have been influential to him or inspiring to him and just have them like come in and do their thing. Cause it really, it seems like even though Josh has a lot of creative authority, it's just kind of like a, a blank canvas when they go into, when they do these things, like everyone has something to bring And that. And, but that and that's the way he works. Speaking of what Dax talked about earlier with like all of the things that Josh has done, like desert sessions, which Josh has been doing since 1997, it's just him inviting a bunch of artists that he likes out to palm desert and then they just create a, an album of like all sorts of stuff yeah you know what i mean and it's like i think that's how he works in queens as well maybe a little more structured because you have you know the timeline's different but they do they have self-produced some of their albums which have allowed them to do some of that but it seems like it's just kind of like come in and bring what you have that's why i want you here
1: yeah like uh, screaming trees, they, yeah, they did things back and forth. Josh was in screaming trees for mm-hmm. a while. Yeah, before I think that's, Queens, that, that's how that relationship started.
2: Yeah, yeah, the lead singer from Screaming Trees has been in a, in a lot of Queens of the Stone Age stuff. They they do have some people that are rel like commonly recurring, and he's one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of other ones at the moment, unfortunately, because it's all in my brain. It's in but, your brain, but not in your brain. So, but yeah, there's. It's hard. It's just kind of hard to. You can't put them in a genre, really.
0: I mean, they are rock. Yeah, I mean that's that's really what it comes down to is that like there's so many different elements of it, but they are so directly just rock mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And you you brought up Foo Fighters, and I think that's uh, an interesting thing to bring up because of the fact that in a lot of ways, Queens of the Stone Age and Foo Fighters are some of if not maybe the only two like really popular rock bands over the last few years, mm. like Queens of the stone age is pretty mainstream when it comes down to it. In comparison to a lot of other rock acts, they have a lot more momentum behind a lot of their songs. They're pretty recognizable in terms of like, and they, and they have a pretty direct rock sound. I don't know if, if very many people, cause like they're not on
3: current, rock radio as much as opposed to like other rock you know like you listen to a rock station or a metal station or whatever i don't think they're playing queens of the stone age that often even like now like you know they're old stuff they haven't had an album in like three years right Right. but i don't think that i mean i don't hear it on the radio i think that like rolling stone and and magazines and things like that like the albums that give them good reviews and stuff but i don't think mainstream rock listeners are that big of fans of Queens of the Stone
2: Age. I know. I knew, I knew of No One Knows mm, like yeah. when it was out. Like yeah. that was a huge song. That was
3: the first thing we ever, uh, Caleb and I, I believe, I'll, I'll speak for Caleb, that we ever saw from Queens of the Stone Age. We were watching probably MTV2 or something like that back when they played music videos and they played the music video for No One Knows with the deer. Mm-hmm. It's quite a wild music video. And to be honest, we did not like it. We did not. We thought it was bad. Oh, we thought <laughs> we thought it was bad, and we were making fun of it because of like the, we thought the video was funny, but we did not like the music. Then fast forward several years later, and six six six
0: came out. Yes, and we liked that quite a bit. Yeah, six 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 was my really kind of like entryway into liking And now, the music. And then now, we go. We feel? went back, yeah. and
3: I I like no one knows. Now. Yeah, it's I, good. Yeah. And it, I I don't whole album is, I don't know if it's I've because done No I, One Knows
0: is karaoke. Oh my. Hey, yeah.
3: I don't know if it was because we just thought he looked weird, uh, or just like it wasn't our style of music. But yeah, that's those are the first like the two main things that I think about with Queens of the Stone Age are the introductory of No One Knows and then the uh era Vulgus Era Vulgaris. Era yeah. Vulgaris album where you had the the bigger mainstream stuff and right. then I don't feel like they really had that was back when rock radio really had a bigger presence and you had right. music videos on MTV and Fuse and stuff like that and you know you were able to find more success in that realm now you have um rock radio stations which is kind of iffy and then yeah bigger um websites that will give you good reviews on your albums and stuff like that, and then, like, Billboard charts. Right. I don't know. I'd have to look and see how well their last album did. Yeah. Uh,
0: I don't in think sales. it,
2: if I recall, it wasn't received super well.
3: No, Villains was not
0: received uh, very well. Which is a shame. It's a it shame. was okay. It I was okay. When I first listened to it, when it was a released, I didn't love it. But going back on it now, I actually appreciated it more and ended up liking it more than Lullabies to Paralyze. Uh yeah, I yeah. I was kind of surprised because I remembered not liking it and I remembered it having some negative, you know, reactions when it first came out, and so when I went back, I was I didn't think that I was going to like it. Yeah, it was
2: definitely okay. I'll say it wasn't as prominent as as most of their other albums, certainly. Mm-hmm. And I wonder because I read that, uh, like Clockwork was supposed to be kind of bluesy. And it then, still has some blues too. Yeah, but it's, but it's I weird. guess it's, well, it's dark. It started as a bunch of bluesy stuff. And then I'll get to the quote for you here when Josh talks about it because he mentioned that. So they re, they, what had happened was they have reissued multiple of their albums, right, over the course of time. And in doing so, they've toured for some of them. So they were working on like Clockwork and they had, that's what it was. It had kind of a more blues feel to it. And it, that's what was going on. Then. Because they had just recently released their debut, they were practicing and rehearsing their debut a lot for tour. And a lot of the the sounds and feels of that worked its way back into their sound. And so because of that, it changed the sound of like clockwork from this bluesy thing into what Josh quotes as it's turned into a, this trancy broken thing. The robots are coming home. That's what he says. So the they because they're rehearsing old work, it's really kind of a weird thing. Cause you don't often see you see people go back to their roots kind of thing, like we're gonna go back and make an album like this. But to think about a band like rehearsing all only one album, the first album, and that working its way into new material inadvertently.
0: Yeah, it's pretty wild. Yeah,
2: it's pretty interesting. So that so I feel like maybe some of that bluesiness that got lost in like clockwork got translated into villains eventually. Because mm. Villains is a lot bluesier mm. in terms of the guitar play and things like that. And it sticks a little bit closer to like standard blues rock yeah, guitar play than some of the more interesting stuff that we've seen from them previously.
0: For sure. So it didn't hit home necessarily for me because of that.
2: But if I, I haven't spent a lot of time
3: with it either. So,
0: Jared, you mentioned that your kind of entryway into Queens of Stone Age was 666. Sick, sick, sick.
3: Well, yeah. After no one knows, yes. right?
0: Like your interest in in them, yes. The music that you enjoyed, mm-hmm. did that land as your favorite song, or did you find something else that you liked better?
3: Yeah, I I have one other song I want to play for surely, actually two songs, but okay. I do think that six 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 that is like the dirtiest song, uh, I have ever heard. Not like I could see not, that. Not not like uh, audible, like vocally. But it just like when you play that song and the way that it sounds, it, it, it's
0: they're a grimy band. It's
3: yeah, it's they're wild like sludge. I was gonna say yeah. they're kind of
0: sludgy in a lot yep, of ways. They are, and like especially on
3: that first album. Well, that's what I was gonna say as well. Is the first album and even the second album reminded me a lot of Mastodon too. Yeah, uh, I could see that. Just you know, more
0: like, psych, mm-hmm. more psych, more sludge. Yeah, yep. for sure. Let's play six, six, six.
3: Definitely their most mainstream song. Um well maybe maybe the other song that was on Guitar Hero Threes and Sevens. Yeah, yeah, Threes and, and Sevens, sevens maybe, is probably so, their yeah. more mainstream but song. But I mean I think that did that one have a music video? Threes and sevens? Yes. It, okay. Yeah.
0: It's not a super popular music video that I like. I don't I don't remember the details. Mm. I know 666 had a very uh harrowing, mm. very, very dark, very haunting music video. It's mm-hmm. like this table. Of food and this like really gross guy just like eating all the food. Like seven. Yeah.
2: I'm interested to know, Dax, where your intro to the, this band was. Since we know where theirs was. I'm going to get into mine in a minute. So no spoilers. But I want, I'm interested to know where, you, where, you, where you're coming from here.
1: It was probably no one knows. But when I first really looked at them like in depth, I was listening to Eagles of Death Metal. And I was like, this is interesting. I looked into that band, and I saw that Josh Hami was Queens of the Stone Age, and then I looked into Queens of the Stone Age.
2: That's interesting. I feel like most people go. Go flip, a flip-flop it. You yeah. no Queens, and then you find Eagles of Death
3: Metal. I found it kind of late. The, yeah. the My introduction to Eagles of Death Metal, not that anybody asked, is uh, I Want You So Hard, I Want You So Good. Yeah, That's a go. good song. Mm-hmm. I have one of the records,
0: actually. Do you really? I don't have any the Queens so- of the Stone Age the records, soft, but I, I have... Uh, I'd have to look at the cover cause I actually, so I, there it's was the one that reminds you of ween. Ooh, ween. It's whatever album, uh, has them as nipples. Yep. That's it. Yeah. That's the one that reminds you of ween. Zipper down. <laughs> yes. Um, it's
3: unfortunate about Eagles of death metal though, because they would have been known for music and now they're known for what happened to them in Paris. Yeah. And that, yeah. that whole situation is awful very yeah. bad well
2: they've
1: he's, they've spoken on it mm-hmm. you uh, wanna, multiple you times. talk about what happened in paris then
3: there was a shooting um a, a person came in and shot a bunch of people at a concert
1: it was a absurd amount of people that got shot yes
3: and the band were able to um get off stage but a lot of people weren't and they they didn't know you know whether they how they would feel afterwards and you know how, trying to speak up about what you know how their feelings were and all all kinds of stuff and then they did um some charity stuff after it made a charity single what was the song do you remember what it was i don't remember at the moment it's uh, um something <laughs> dang it yeah i might be able to find it real quick i love you all the time that's what it is but i don't uh, remember okay. who it's by i don't know yeah i love you all In the time. While, time who is
2: that live at the olympia
3: i don't know
1: but, jo- uh, Josh Homme wasn't on stage when this no, happened. He no. wasn't touring
3: with them. No, he mm-hmm. was not. Yeah, because he's in the band, but he's not. He's doing Queen stuff, and that takes precedent over mm-hmm. Eagles of Death Metal. And the, I mean, really, it's kind of like a almost a darkness situation, right? That's kind of how Eagles of Death Metal is. It's more for the show of it, I guess. So, yeah,
2: yeah. There's a little bit of a It's a little bit of a. Uh, it's kind of farcical in a way, mm-hmm. if, if you you know if mm-hmm. you think about it like that. And and it's just too – it's just Josh and then, you know, he's buddies with uh, with Jesse. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how they – you know, let's just do a thing. Mm-hmm. But Jesse Hughes is the one who was – and he's the one who's spoken out mm-hmm. about it all. And it's it was – I've watched the interview, the I think the first interview we did, which was pretty difficult for him to get through because mm-hmm. it was just like – so, yeah, quite unfortunate. Do um, you want to
0: know something interesting about that I love you all the time thing? Yeah. Sure. Uh, it was not just them that did that song. Mm-hmm. There were multiple artists that yep. did the I Love You All the Time play Different it for, versions for the Play of Forward it. campaign. Yeah. Yes. Kings of Leon, My Morning Jacket, Florence and Machine, like quite a few, actually. Yep. um, Artists did it. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. But I can't seem to find who did it originally. Unless it's the case the Eagles of Death Metal did it originally and they were all doing. The Eagles of Death Metal song. It looks like it's a song a by campaign. Eagles of Death Metal. Yeah, that's what it looks like to me. Yeah, it's from Zipper Down.
3: Okay, yeah, it was them. I guess I thought it was. They yeah, they they were their all song and yeah. everybody covered their song. Yeah. Correct. That makes sense. It's from Zipper Down. Okay, that's um, a good song. I don't know. Tell us about your introduction. <laughs> that's what I was. G- hey,
2: that's where I was going, Jared. Thank you for asking. Mine. It's funny because we all were introduced with "No One Knows," which is where I was introduced as well. Which makes sense for the period. That was uh, that sure. album came out in 02. Uh the next album was oh four. Yeah. I think was when L Lullabies to Paralyze. But I didn't know that anything is, from no, that. Two thousand oh, 05. I don't know anything from that no, one. No, because it was less prominent. Yeah. Right. So that's why I'm kinda of getting at it's like that's what would have probably stuck with all of us being the age that we are would have been no one knows. So that's where I recognize where I started. I
0: recognize the guitar part. On Little Sister, I'll I'll yes. play the guitar part yeah, a little bit. Yeah, go for bit. it,
2: because that's a, that was a popular one. That was used in a couple of different places as well. So let me go ahead and say
3: that's my favorite song.
0: Really? Yep. That was your favorite song? Yeah. Oh, okay. Nice. I like that one. They uh played interesting. they played that song on
2: SNL when uh the episode was that night was hosted by Will Ferrell and Will Ferrell revived his Gene Frankel Cowbellist to play in that song. Yeah, beautiful. So there you go. Yeah, uh that was that was the well that's a big single from that album. so That would have been right. the most potentially familiar from it. That was kind of an interesting period too because during that period they uh toured an open for nine inch nails while they toured with teeth, oh, which okay. would have been pretty cool to see.
0: I would agree. I would love to have seen nine inch nails and Queens of the Stone Age simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was pretty cool. But from there, for me, from
2: uh, no one knows. I said this is interesting. I like Queens, and I had found uh, through Pandora the way I found lots of things in my in, you know before we got to the world we're in today. I found uh, the lost art of keeping a secret from rated R, and I bought that album and that is my favorite Queens album.
0: Rated R is? Rated
2: R is my favorite Queens album. I really like Songs for the Death. I think it's really good, but I like Songs for the Death starts to kind of um, smooth out a little bit more. There's a lot of weird- Like near the end? Just like as compared to- So when you listen to their debut, you're kind of like, well, this is Queens. This is Queens right here? Because there's lots of like kind of absurd guitar work in that. That's kind of weird. And overlaying yeah. and some and then that starts that kind of gets refined on rated R and then it mellows in Songs of the Death. Right. So I like the kind of weird stuff that gets in rated R.
1: When Josh Hami was learning guitar, his teacher primarily focused on Polka.
2: Yeah, I saw that he that Polka was I, like a an influence for him. It I didn't know sense. he was trained by Weird Al. That's weird. Uh, it's ooh, Weird oh. Al
0: That's that's something.
2: Yeah, I just love Rated R's got all sorts of kind of weird stuff on it. When you get into it, Lost Art I,
0: of Keeping a Secret is the one that has like the really, really like memorable line. Yeah. where they keep saying all the drugs. No, mm-hmm. that's a that's
2: feel good hit of the summer. Oh, that's right. That is that one. That's okay. the open. The one that
0: was like all the way through. Yeah.
2: all The over song. African.
3: The song that stuck out the most to me on that album is Quick into the Pointless. You yeah. Should play that song. I think that's great. Let's do it. I love, like of, I love that. It made me think of it made me think of System of a Down. It's pretty like wild. The yeah. weird like vocal uh-huh. delivery. Like I didn't I did not know that he sounded like that. Like ever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there were Josh Home.
2: Yeah. He had the uh, well, the singer from Neon Trees also sung on that album a lot as well. Not Neon, or, screaming, or, trees. Scre- neon trees. <laughs> screaming Trees. Sorry, Neon Trees. Screaming Trees. Screaming female. Screaming from, Trees, Neon yeah, Trees. The singer from Screaming Neon knees. Trees is new and not that good. The singer from Screaming Trees, uh, th- he had a lot of performances on there as well. Mm. But yeah, that's that one is the first Queen's album I might probably listened to all the way through. Mm. Gotcha. It's definitely the first one that I bought, and it's for- the one I've listened to most.
0: I like that you brought up uh, "Quick into the Pointless" and that you said that you were unfamiliar with them having like that kind of vocal style because it reminds me of my personal favorite Queen's of the Stone Age song, which is uh, "You Think I Ain't Worth a Dollar." That's a good one. Mm. But I feel like. I
2: songs for the deaf you can't even hear it i got i was gonna uh make a joke that my favorite song was the real song for the deaf but uh, Mm -hmm. you know that's a
1: hidden track did you know that (laughs) is it Uh, i think on the cd it starts playing on track two but if you go back if you like hit the back button Mm -hmm. uh, you can go to like it's like track negative one that's
2: wild i'm trying to think because i have a i have that record on vinyl because i got a Vital Me, please, exclusive pressing that is super sick of that album.
0: I'm so sad that it's still sold
1: out.
2: Yep.
0: Do
1: you know where the name came from? Do you know where the name came from for that? No, Uh, I forget who it was, but someone that was involved in that uh, DJed for deaf uh, deaf people. Oh, really? Yeah, that's wild. He would play like really bumping bass tracks, and they could feel it. They could Hmm. feel the
0: music. Yeah, that
2: makes
1: sense. That's what the the first track is. It's just the bass.
2: I think on the I think on the vinyl that that track is in there is Mm. as is the opening track. But when you go to track listing on Wikipedia, that's listed as track zero, mm. which is kind of fun. Uh, Another little tidbit about the song that Caleb mentioned on rated R uh, feel good hit of the summer. Walmart claimed that it promoted drug use and uh, we're, we're about to not allow, allow them to sell it in their stores.
0: I mean, the album is rated R, so I know. know, I know, know, I know like you know, you should have already
2: known that. That. You should have already known it. So what happened? Did they let them? They let them do it. They let them do it.
3: They have a pharmacy there, you know. They, the do.
2: <laughs> they do.
0: They well, do. Well, <laughs> it wasn't quite those drugs. They sell
2: nicotine, Valium, Vicodin, marijuana, ecstasy, and alcohol. That's all the things that they sell. They
3: sell some of them mentioned in the Probably salon. at least half of them.
2: Probably, actually, you're right. Do you think I might have a do a doodly- a doo doodly- do. Oh uh, yeah! For it, go ahead and play feel-good hit of the summer for us. All right, That's starting at the beginning.
3: All
2: right, now this is going to be close, and I'm not sure it's dead on, but we're going to give All it a right. go. Play Cherub Rock." by smashing pumpkins
0: i could see that i thought about that as well but let's do it About the same timing, but it's a different yeah, tone. It's a different tone.
2: The rhythmically is the kinda same. Sounds, the buildup is like the same. Kind can't of. Can't stop
3: by Red Hot Chili Peppers. too, A little bit it it does. Hard tone. Yeah, it does a little bit. Uh,
1: what we just played is um, taken from a Rush song. I think I can't remember which one. Chair Brock is. Yeah.
2: Yeah, we talked about that on the Rush. We
1: episode. did. Huh. I, I can't remember anything. It's like
3: By Tor and the Snow Dog or ah, something. Well, Do you, oh right. yeah, that's right. Do Definitely
2: want- the best, the most, the hardest. Smashing Pumpkins intro, really.
3: Do you want a real? That sounds familiar. Wow. Fun. Okay. <laughs> I got a real. Not the yours wasn't real. Yeah, it's <laughs> cool. You just said. Yeah, though. you just wholly you you discredited. Just
2: wholly discredited. The entire. No, I didn't thing. mean for it to be that. <laughs> way You know, this whole thing started with uh, <laughs> let's think about things that sound like things before looking them up, and then he started looking them up, and now that's I the main know. source. We kind of lo- we need to get back to our roots. I agree. Of booba Well, I
3: knew. Now, listen, I found this. I it's credited, but I heard it okay. myself, and I was like, that is the thing. Okay. And then I had. I right. only thing I looked up was the timestamp. Okay. okay. This this okay. was legitimate. All right. Can you go to the song Unborn Reborn from Villains?
2: All right, okay. I see a little yeah. I now see go some to, black it's, crows it's, in there. No, no, it's
3: Georgia no, satellites. It's the Georgia satellites with the song Keep Your Hands to Yourself. Now that's a good song. That's I'll good tell song. you that it right one. It's song. an eighties song that sounds like it could have come out in either the seventies or the nineties. But
0: each time it's out.
3: Keep your
0: hands to yourself.
3: That's, that's super bluesy. It's too. a great song. That's a great song. I love that's that what song. I'm saying.
2: They're getting with the blues. But yeah, and I love that, that reference.
3: And that's funny because that was on their most recent album that they made. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's crazy.
2: He, def- that's what I'm saying. Like, it, nothing, nothing can, nothing is out of bounds. Mm-hmm. Which is what's very cool about. Queens. I mean,
3: I feel like a band that is just starting out would make like a reference like that. But not a band that's on their most recent in a string of successful albums. Right. What is it? Their seventh album, right? I yeah, believe so. seventh. But I mean, it's like, I like if, if that's what he thinks of when he's writing that song. And he's not, it's such a small line mm-hmm. that it's not ripping anything off, really. He's referencing something he likes, I'm sure. But it was like, when I was listening, obviously I was listening to it. Because I wonder, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah. But yeah, it's wild. It's pretty cool.
2: That is a pretty good song on on villains as well that I think there's a stretch for me of of a few songs domesticated animals kind of stood out had like a haunted house kind of stood out, and then that one kind of stood out uh for me on that one here's a good here's a little question um we know air vulgaris was kind of not super you know it's a little bit underrated in a way what do you all think about like clockwork because like clockwork air vulgaris did chart yes mm-hmm. as an album, but like clockwork charted number one. Um, on its release right Hmm. and uh it kind of seems like and when you look at it from uh from a far back view that that's kind of like a the redeeming album even though we all know
0: air vulgaris is still you know it's still quality it was that they had a a dip in quality for air vulgaris supposedly yeah and people's opinions and villains had a dip in quality but that one kind of a sandwich in between and it's considered one of their best even to
2: come out in 20 even to come out at number one. It's weird for an album that is their sixth album, mm-hmm. seventeen years after the founding of the band, and it comes out and peaks at number one. And I think I do think it's really good. I don't know what you all thought. I'm interested to see your thoughts on it.
3: Speaks more to the way that records are released and the sales of records than it really does, like that album specifically. I mean, they were a well-known rock band at that point. And it depends also on when those other albums were released and who they were up against and things like that as well. Because what what labels do is they'll put an album, they'll release an album in a given week if they do not have competition. So like they would look and make sure that the new J. Cole album or the new Weekend album or Adele or Lady Gaga or whatever would have come out in 2013 – didn't come out at that weekend so that like clockwork could debut at number one and it could only sell 80,000 units, but it still is number one because nothing, there's no competition. Sure. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm saying most likely that's what happened. Well,
2: what do you think about the album itself?
3: I thought it was a pretty good album. Um, I liked uh, the song. If I Had a Tail is pretty good. Yeah. I thought that was a pretty fun song. Uh, I Appear Missing was a pretty good song as well. I could see, I, I Jared, I I fun, could see
0: you liking Smooth Sailing. Who? Oh.
3: I don't remember, it, we listened to so much thing. only certain things stuck out I like certain well, things, we listen like, to so like much Like clockwork
2: really incorporated a lot more elec- like there's not, it's not like they use a lot of electronics, but there's more electronical uh, kind of, tra- it, like the tranciness that he mentioned is really m- heavily apparent in terms of like a mellowing out kind of sound, not like the tranciness of Uh, some of the like psych style work from earlier, but the transcendence of like a smoothing out and like a, a, a low level layering of different sounds. I thought that it worked really
0: well. It's dark. It is. It's very dark. I think that that was okay. So I believe that the first album that from them that I listened to all the way through was air vulgaris. I think then the second album that I listened to all the way through was songs for the deaf. I think that like clockwork was my third album for them that I really enjoyed. And it, Really, those—I mean, those are some of my favorite albums from them. Mm-hmm. I also really like Rated R, like you mentioned. Um, but at that point, that's when I realized, like, when you like three albums like back to back, I think you like this band. Yeah, you yeah, know? Pretty like, much like it at that point. I'm surprised that I haven't gone back on them as much as I would have expected, like because I've listened to Villains. But I think this week was the first week that I listened to Lullabies to Paralyze all the way through and their debut all the way through, and I really think it's the first time I listened to Rated R all the way through this album. Mm. Has
3: uh, a feature by Trent Reznor. Yep. On track six and track six and seven, Alex <laughs> Turner from the Arctic Monkeys is on there, and Elton John. Yep. Did you see that? Elton John, that. Elton John backing, John, backing vocals Elton John. and piano on track seven. Yep. Uh, Fairweather, Friend? Fairweather, Fairweather friends, friends, which is a
0: good song yeah. on there. Let's see if we can hear it. Go for it. what i thought i thought yeah. it was right there it was right yeah. there
2: plus see, the piano is fairly prominent through good yeah it is it. that's a good song I, that song stood out to me and uh colopsia the one before that really stood out to me that's one where it starts out fairly queensy and then it like dives into the kind of a lower uh like a quieter thing for a little bit and then just freaking explodes at the end all crazy into like psych psych stuff that's just like wild it's a great yeah. song it is a really good song. great song that album as well was uh uh, it was. There's a couple of things about it that make it interesting. One, it's a label change. Yeah. From Interscope to Matador, which I love. Matador, they're great out. They're a label that I really like. Chavez, a, a lot of bands that are big for me were on uh, Matador. Good stuff. And then also that was uh, prior to Josh's health issues that he had, where he basically almost died. Um, and he
1: kind of did die. He
2: basically did. His heart stopped for a, a few minutes or something like that, and then. He was bedridden for four months, and and was considering giving up, you know, music as a career and all of that, and then he decided not to and pushed through, and a lot of that ended up working its way into this album, you know, the depression he felt and things like that. So, this is, I think it's really a, I think it's maybe it it may even be like the most human of their albums in a way if you really think about it. Is your favorite track on this album? It's not. Is it on Rated R? It's on Rated R and it's uh, better living through chemistry.
0: those headphone listeners at home that one's mixed real interestingly
2: yeah all the lyrics all the vocals are in the left and then like
0: and then all the the little drum comes in in on the right you know yeah
2: and that's i love the bass line and that's pretty cool i was
0: gonna mention i feel Uh like you have something to say about this but a lot of their music incorporates a lot of groove yeah it does a lot of groove a lot of underlying
2: groove and then they just build on top of it he josh has said that their early work which is totally prominent in this song is made up. It's heavily riff based, and it's made up of repetitive, interesting riffs, and then changes. Which is this song is like full of. If you listen to the song the whole way. It's it shifts, it goes all over. It comes into this big like psych jam session for a little bit, and then mm. it comes back and returns back into uh, what is essentially like the verse, like we heard here. And uh, it's a it's in their early work is just a little more sporadic. In certain sure. ways. Which I, I'd like all of it, but I just really enjoy that for some reason. Maybe it's just because it, it came to me at the time where that
0: was important to me. I don't know. But yeah. I have one real quick question for it's probably mostly for Tyler, but I'm just curious since it is the band that you're most familiar with. Um I'm surprised we have not brought it up to this point, but are you familiar really with Josh Home or Hami, Homme, Josh Homie's um initial band? Oh, Cuse.
2: Yeah, a little bit. I saw you. I saw you put a song in there just so I didn't forget about it. So it's also, but like, what's funny about that is, uh, when they so they he had a band Cuse, all right. So they they've had one release, I believe. Maybe was it two? Maybe one or two releases. I can't remember. Um, and that was they actually had kind of a bit of a prominence in kind of an underground type scene. Really, if you I've seen multiple interviews with him where people are knowledgeable of it and ask him about it.
0: Uh, it looks like more than two. Oh, it looks really? like four. Oh, really? They had four total releases. Maybe five. It looks like four. they had a 2018 four. release.
2: What's really weird about them... So the bassist that we heard on that track that I played, for instance, uh, that's the bassist from Cuse. And he was Queen's original bassist up until he was fired in 2004. mm. And and the, he's he's come back, he was fired in two thousand four, and then he came back and performed uh, a couple of things on like clockwork. So, you know, but at one point, and I believe it was touring for the debut album, you know, Cuse broke up, Josh went and played with uh with uh, The Trees and Screaming, screaming Trees Screaming Trees. And then he's like, "Okay, I'm going to do my own band and went and started Queens, which, you know, so he started doing his own thing. (laughs) But what's funny is after the first album, when they toured, it was a touring band of Queens of the Stone Age that was made up entirely of former Cuse members. Huh. And you're just like, okay, so it's like the same, you know, it's just
0: your band again. Just repackaged. Yeah. So with a different sound, I
2: imagine. It's a different sound. It's a different sound. My familiarity with Cuse is still minimal. I mean, I haven't done a lot of listening, but I'm aware of. Of kind of where it started and I saw you want to play the song that you threw on there just to give people a listen to what it what kind of what it came before sure Different, but if you put fuzz on those guitars, you're pretty close to a Queen song, really. When you think about it, um, actually, the name Queens of the Stone Age was a nickname that was given to that band. Ah, oh, so that's kind of that where makes sense. It, it, they came from.
1: It was an insult, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, the producer gave it to him. Uh, and just called him. I don't know. Why, I don't know what why they exactly he exactly. Do you know about why he called him that?
1: I. I read about this or heard it in an interview or something. I can't remember exactly, but I I didn't realize it was the producer. I thought it was like a heckler.
2: No, it was the the producer of Q's, Chris Goss.
1: I I may have read. I'm thinking of the wrong thing then. Yeah,
2: he gave them that that nickname. But then, well, so Queen's original name was Gamma Ray. And then there's a German power metal band called Gamma Ray that threatened to sue. So
0: They'll come for you. They
2: switched to Queens of the Stone Age, which is a much better name anyway. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest with ourselves. Uh, and Josh has said that uh, kings would be too macho. That's why they chose queens. Now, I like that. Because the kings of the Stone Age wear armor and have axes and wrestle. And the queens of the Stone Age hang out with the kings of the Stone Age's girlfriends while the kings wrestle. Huh. He said rocks should be heavy enough for the boys and sweet enough for the girls. That way everyone's happy and it's more of a party. Kings of the Stone Age is too lopsided. So that's why they went with queens.
0: I like that. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty cool little that's name.
2: That's a good though. line. So... I also should point out that uh, Troy Van Leeuwen plays a jazz master, and in fact, Fender has a. You can purchase Troy Van Leeuwen's Jazz Master because uh, they have a Fender Artist Series has his. They have he has created one with them, so it's so prominent. I'm surprised Kevin Shields hasn't done it. Fender hasn't approached him to do it necessarily, but he probably would want to vary too much. Some of those tones that you may notice from lullab- lullabies that paralyze on some of the. Lead the little lead bits that sound kind of interesting, that may have uh, a bit of a of a nice tonal quality. Mm. That's what you're getting, boys. Are Man.
3: you familiar with his relationship uh, with Brody Dale? Of uh,
2: Josh's. Josh. Not, not much. Hallie. No, I know he was in a relationship.
3: Okay. So he was married. He was in a relationship and married. Brody Dale, which is the lead singer of the Distillers, yes. the punk rock band. Now, prior to her being with Josh Homme, she was with Tim Armstrong from Rancid. Oh, boy. In 1995, she was the age of 16 and she met him. And shortly after that, in uh looks like maybe around 1997... They were together. So she was 17. He would be about 31. Oof. Oh, Tim Armstrong was? Yeah. canceled. Jeez. Tim Armstrong. That sounds, <laughs> a bit, that sounds a bit rancid of a relationship, oh, if you boy. ask me. But later, uh, she got a divorce from um, Tim Armstrong, and he wrote about it on the song Fall Back Down and a few other songs. Then she met uh, Josh Homie and they began dating. Uh, they had met in 1997 when she was still dating Armstrong, mm-hmm. and they said, um, you know they they dated and and they later got married and they wrote he wrote the song I think it's called I'm in love with you is that a thing I want to make it with you yeah that song what song make, was that make on? it with you
0: yeah what was that on that was on Era Vulgaris yeah okay make so that it with been, you that
3: would have been 07. that's he wrote that song
0: with her and about their relationship that's one of their like very very like few and far between of their songs are kind of like sweet almost mm-hmm. they're
2: supposed to be sweet he said it in the
0: name right mm-hmm. i mean usually i get more of a sultry vibe yeah. off of them yeah. but like but <laughs> that uh, one's definitely one of their more like i don't know like almost upbeat but actually but.
2: addressing uh, something of of romance mm-hmm. for once right.
3: <laughs> tim armstrong when when he found out that he was dating brody dale he threatened josh homie sent him death threats and and wanted to fight him he said uh that he would say, We're gonna kill you and I was he said, I'm six foot five, and I I have red hair. I'm not hiding, go ahead. That's what he told him. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. But later they uh him and or her and Hami, Hami and her, they divorced and uh they are no longer together. And it says they married in 05 but filed for legal separation in two thousand nineteen and they both accused each other uh or, yeah, they accused each other of battery and had restraining orders against each other. Oh, wow. Interesting. So they did not have, they had Do a... Do you
0: need to have simultaneous restraining orders? You would think You the can't first come one, near me. Well, you can't come yeah. near you me. You would
3: think the first one would be enough. It's compounding.
0: Yeah. It doubles up. You, it was 30
2: feet. Now it's 60.
0: Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. What if the one of them dead not found out about the other one? Oh, boy. I know I've got a restraining order against him, so I can be 30 feet away. Oh,
2: then I guess you're in breach. Bummer, pal.
1: Dang. Too late. Uh, Why don't we go to a Patreon pick for a favorite song? Uh, The song, If Only, uh, picked by Jamie.
2: a song from the first album. We haven't gotten one of those, so Yeah, really.
0: I, yeah. I was gonna say I'm surprised because I mean I like some of the songs off of the the, the debut album. That was pretty good, but yeah, we haven't really talked a whole lot about anything yeah. that was off of it. I like the song You Would Know. Mm-hmm. It's got that like really repetitive riff to it. I thought that was a pretty good
2: album. Uh I thought it was kind of interesting for a beginning thing, but I thought it went I thought it was good. I thought it went well. I was a Teenage Hand model, so that's all you need to know. You know, the connection between all of these musical people is pretty wild. They're mm-hmm. all over the place. I know, true, really. With this band. Troy Van Leeuwen, for instance, came from uh, the metal. It was a metal um, supergroup called Perf- A Perfect Circle. Yeah. I don't know if you all saw that. With, uh, with uh, your tool. boy, Maynard, Maynard James, James Keenan. Keenan. Yes, yeah. it was. And also, the per- the woman who played bass in that group, Paz uh, Lynchanton. You may may or not may or may not recognize the name. We've mentioned her before. I'll get to where we mentioned her before momentarily. Uh but she was the bassist in that and in what? In a perfect circle. Okay. She was their bassist and she performed uh with Dean Ween on the closing song, Mosquito Song, for Songs uh, for the Deaf, which is pretty interesting, huh? hmm. Well, Paz Lanchin is now the current uh bassist for the Pixies.
0: Ah, oh, uh, nice! Yeah, touring
2: right. and performing on their latest release, yes, uh, and so yeah, so it's a, so a big old musical world yeah. that Queens have involved themselves in. I mean, I'm we no
3: kidding? We covered Elton John for Record Roundtable, and there he is. Look at all the people we've singing named. on Queens of the Stone Age for no damn reason. I thought even, you might. I thought you might like
2: Dean Ween in there as well. Down.
1: Dean mm-hmm. Ween, even outside of music, they have connections with uh, Anthony Bourdain. Oh, that's cool. Uh, the show Parts Unknown Josh Homme did the theme song oh really it's a oh great my. theme song that's cool one of the, can you play it's that it's a good show yeah it's one of the best theme songs ever made wild,
0: this world. felt the cool rain on my shoulders. I don't know that there's ever gonna be a place for me to mention it, but Anthony Bourdain was quite the character in terms of like the fact that we were willing to watch him on television because all he would do is travel and eat food and we were like, I love it.
1: He's amazing. He's the yeah, best.
0: He is
2: the best. He's I read his uh I read Kitchen Confidential. Mm-hmm. Very good. It is very good. It's very good. And if you read that, it's hard to think of him outside of a person you saw on those going around eating things. Him and Andrew right. Zimmern are people mm-hmm. whose names are kind of synonymous. So it's these guys that just go and eat various things. But Anthony Bourdain's a little more intricate than that. Sure. And uh, reading that book has opened opened me up to understanding the man a little bit more. He's an interesting dude. He's a punk dude as well. Mm-hmm. I know. So he's got like a lot, a lot of tattoos. He did in his and in the later life. Yeah, he didn't have them for a long time, and then he went and got them. Because so, of Josh Homme, there you go. Josh Homme. Speaking of the of tattoos or just like the way a person carries themselves, is just an interesting dude.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: He's used to be kind of like a '90s nerd. He wore like I don't know if you saw the picture on YouTube, and I've seen him wear things like this before. He wore like a a sleeveless t shirt, not a tank top, a t shirt. You know what I mean? The sleeveless shirts that are made sleeveless, but they come all the way to your shoulder, and they have colored patches on the. Sh- he like wore that stuff to perform his music in. Love that. it's just Yeah, he's just like a total, he's kind of like a desert nerd. I don't know what else to say about it. <laughs> desert and, nerd. And I don't know if you've seen recent interviews because now he's got this kind of rockabilly look thing that mm. he does because he wears those yeah. button shirts with his hair all back. Yeah. He's a pretty cool dude. Though. His interviews are always very good. He's got kind of an interesting mind that's like fun to listen to him talk about just various things a little bit and chat. He's just a, I don't know, he's just an interesting dude. I just think they're a good example of like what, what today's psych rock should be like or really just any rock any rock for no doubt i mean they're a great example of how to make rock that that is popular that is also of of quality that is good and that is interesting and worth listening to um but i just think i think that like psych because i like psych and i like psych of the 60s and 70s i think it's interesting but a lot of people kind of just be like well that's what you do and they just kind of make it sound like that but it can go other places so it's just kind of cool to see someone who's fused what's really mostly like psych tones and metal tones to create
0: like a new genre or a new sound in hard and alt rock i mean they're really grounded in a lot of ways in kind of every form of traditional rock they've got blues they've got psychedelic mm-hmm. they've got metal like every kind of like really traditional style of rock and roll they've somehow incorporated into the way that they sound in a lot of ways yeah, they do. And they've got connection. I don't
2: know if it's... I mean, I, I, I think what's also cool and interesting is, like we mentioned earlier, that it's just kind of like a blank slate and you come in and people bring what they bring. And yeah. I don't know if that's how he looks for members when people like exit the group and new people come in, if that's what he looks for or not. like One of the guys who was a longtime drummer, Joey Castillo, was the drummer for Danzig. Oh, really? I, yeah. So it's like, you know, it, that, that's the, one of your connections to metal. You know, you have people come in who, like, Paz and, like, Troy uh, Van Leeuwen, who played in a metal supergroup. And, like, so, you know, I don't know if, but Troy doesn't always just bring metal things to it, you know? So, I don't know. I think that that's also a refreshing way to to understand an artist creating music.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Record Roundtable. This week we've been talking about Queens of the Stone Age. And next week we're going to talk about Miles davis check out all our social media bits facebook twitter instagram so on so forth check out our website where we've got some sweet sweet articles check out our patreon at patreon.com slash record round thank you for listening goodbye